Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast. We talk about marketing, media, technology, and pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. Uh, this is, uh, it would be Can Week. We would be, we would be out in the, the Riviera in the south of France. Uh, I would say enjoying it. We don't, journalists don't tend to enjoy it because we just sprint back and forth uh, trying to interview everybody and cover as much as we can. But it is still quite fun. It's not happening this year. For the second year in a row, there will be no Can and Can, but there is a Can Lines Live, which is their virtual festival. Uh, they really didn't do anything last year. Uh, they kind of went quiet. Uh, and so this year, they're hoping to roar back. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it all goes and how much of the allure of Can. Uh, transfers over to a virtual environment. With me to discuss it, uh, we've got the two creative powerhouses of Adweek. Shannon Miller, creative and inclusion editor for Adweek. Shannon, always a pleasure. Uh, and if you missed last week's episode, Shannon is now our co-host too. So always wonderful to have you. Always happy to be here. And we've got Brittany Kiefer. Uh, this is Brittany. We're recording this at the end of your first week with Adweek, right? Yes, week one. Wow, Brittany is our European creative editor. As far as I know, I've been with Adweek about fifteen years. Uh, we've never had a European creative editor in my in my lifespan with the magazine, uh, but it is part of a lot of growth that we're uh, doing as publication and as a platform across, uh, especially in Europe. And we've got even more stuff on the horizon that I will be excited to talk about someday. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor. I don't think I introduced myself, but uh, Brittany, uh, tell us a little bit uh, before we dive into Can. Tell us a little bit about your background. You are uh, an American. But but you are a, uh, by, by upbringing, <laughs> but you've been in Britain for quite a while. Yeah. So I've been in London for six years and I am originally from Florida, but I lived in New York before I ended up in London. All right. Um, well, the, as uh, as I mentioned, Brittany is our uh, your European creative editor, and we'll be covering uh, a wide range of campaigns across across Europe, across the UK. And uh, you have also been to Cannes a few times, right? Yeah. So before this, I used to work at Campaign Magazine in London. So I've been to Cannes, I think, four times. It all kind of blurs together, but I've covered it. You know, the the past six years that I've been over here. And Shannon, I don't think we've gotten to send you yet. Uh, you've been full-time with Adweek uh, just a few months, but uh, 
definitely next year. Next year is our year. My bag's already packed. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start with uh, before we're going to talk about the work. Uh, we're going to talk about the format of the festival a little bit, just uh, to kind of get a sense of how they're trying to capture the magic of uh, everybody getting drunken and debauched in uh, in the south of France and like try to turn that into a one giant Zoom call. Um, <laughs> the I guess first. Brittany, this is a, a bit of a loaded question, but I think everyone answers it differently. What is what is the actual value of Can? It is a, a boondoggle in its own way, um, but at the same time, I'm a believer that there is a tremendous amount of value in having th- this entire creative community get together. What, what do you think? What's your take on it? Well, I think that the true value is, is like you said, getting everyone together from the creative community and running into people who you might know or have worked with before or meeting new faces when you're there in the south of France. So I think it's quite difficult to capture that over Zoom, like you said. And last year, I don't know, they did have a virtual event, but I don't think very many people attended it. And, you know, that's not all to do with Cannes. I think a lot of people were, you know, facing a lot of stress, but I think this year it that will be kind of the true marker of can they make this work virtually? And then if if not, what does it need to be when it actually is able to resume in person again? Now, the, the irony of CAN in the sense, like to me, one of the greatest strengths of CAN is the programming is excellent. Yeah. The speakers, the 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 presentations are fantastic. I, I've, I've had some, like this sounds lame and fake, but like, no, I've had like life changing moments of listening to speakers there, like legitimately incredible world-class, I mean, from all over the, the planet. Um, and I've experienced some moments there that, uh, are, are truly incredible. Now the downside is a lot of people don't go to the programming. Yeah. <laughs> Many people say they never step foot in the palais. Yeah. The, the palais, the convention center, uh, for one, you have to have a, you have to have a name tag. You have to be a paying, uh, attendee, which not everybody is. A lot of people just kind of live on the, the fringes of the festival because they know that they can still go to the parties and do the networking. Um, but the, the programming is honestly one of my favorite parts and it is, it's, it, it upsets me maybe more than it should sometimes when I go into a, a, a session with an incredible topic uh, for they were really ahead of the curve on gender balance as a topic. Uh, they, they've gotten around to more kind of I would say comprehensive DEI topics in the last few years. But in those early years, I would go to the gender balance and it became a joke that I would see the same five people <laughs> – <laughs> every, yeah, other journalists covering it for their websites. Yeah, and it's like uh, recruiters, you know, a handful of, of of good recruiters who actually care about these issues, but no CEOs, no CCOs, no executives who could actually affect change at the scale that, that one would uh, – I, I assume the CAN folks would argue – that that's what makes their programming so powerful is the people in the audience, right? Mm. Uh, but they, they're, they're not always there. So, Brittany, what do you think of the idea of of making it into virtual programming? Like it feels like they're really kind of now leaning on the part that they've really struggled to get people to appreciate and and, and you know, frequent. Yeah, and I think people just generally have Zoom fatigue after the past, you know, over a year of working virtually and doing a lot of these events. So I think it's going to be a real challenge for them. But even before COVID, that was something that a lot of people were questioning and a lot of people complained about can kind of losing its focus and being less about creativity and losing its heart. And that was something that people love to complain about for a long time. So I think that that's something they need to focus on when they think about the programming, but also what the event would look like if it's in person again, is it, it needs to be truly about 
its creative heart. Yeah, and I will say too that as someone who's been attending CAN for for quite a while, um, the the people complain about the brands, people complain about the client presence, right? Because for mm-hmm. a long time it was creative agencies, really, and uh, and that was CAN for a long time. Then the ad tech folks came in and started taking over all the yachts, and uh, and then the clients really started going. And uh, you know, a lot of people felt that that made it into one big basically client meeting and and like networking <laughs> like trying to close deals which is is true um but on the other hand i will say that the clients also have made that festival a lot more diverse yeah uh, i don't i don't i think agencies had their opportunity to bring non non white folks to that festival for many years and and did not live up to that opportunity other than speakers you know they would they would help bring uh, an interesting speaker uh but the 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 attendees were overwhelmingly white, uh, which it's a global festival. You know, it's like it should be representative of the globe and not yeah. just of mm-hmm. Britain and, and America. And it's still not even as representative of those uh, because of the cost of admission. Um, but it, I, I mean, what do you think? Do, do you feel like the client kind of invasion of Can over these last few years of really becoming a huge part of it, uh, which, of course, Can has uh, has loved because those clients have money? You know, <laughs> like, do you think it's changing the, the the tenor of the whole festival? It's definitely changing it, but I don't think for in a bad way. I think it's good that the clients care about the work. And I actually, I remember hearing anecdotally from some of the clients that they love to go and well, actually walk around, you know, that floor at the um, ground floor or below ground floor on the palais where they would display all the work that was nominated. And Hardly any other, you know, you'd rarely see many people down there, but I've heard from some clients that they actually enjoyed going to see that work and see what else was made and what the highlights were from the previous year. And it shows to them that creativity is important and it has a business value. So I think it's great that they're more involved. Shannon, we talked about this a bit last week, but what's your take on the value of these, not just awards that honor creativity, but the idea of of premium awards, you know, people say that the the Can Lion is. Uh, well, you may debate this, you know, that it's the Oscars of advertising. Um, it, it is like the most high profile. I don't think anyone's going to argue that it's not the most high profile awards in advertising. What do you think of the values for that, both in terms of for marketing, for creativity, but also for talent? That's a really good question. Um, you mentioned that you know there's that obvious uh, premium placed on these type of awards. I tend to think of awards in general, um, similarly to how I think of like the Oscars or the, the Emmys. Um, we have to evaluate whether or not they are really reflective of, you know, what is happening, what is going on in the world around us. Um, one of the things that I notice that uh, in talking about the decline is that the, in terms of the entries, independent agencies, that entry rate was increased by 14%. And, or up, yeah, up by 14% compared to 2019. And I'm wondering if that's indicative of like a little bit of an access issue. Like now they feel like they have a chance in comparison to like the the bigger uh, the bigger agencies and the bigger work. So I, I, it's obviously important. I just hope that like in the future that this is sort of like the beginning of, of a more inclusive look at what the 
marketing sphere has to offer. Yeah, the a few years ago, um, I, honestly, it's a blur now, Brittany. You may remember what year this was, but uh, Publicis, one of the major holding companies, announced they would mm. be pulling out of all, all awards for a year. I think that um, was 2018. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, it was very abrupt. It happened during Cannes, which was a bit of a a bit <laughs> of a power shelf. move. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so. Like a quick, quick story just because I think about this a lot when I think about Cannes. So I was sitting at breakfast the next morning after this news had broke with the leadership of Wyden and Kennedy, which of course is a famously independent uh, agency. And while we're talking, uh, Artur Sadoun, the, the CEO of Publicis, walks by. And so I politely jumped up. You know, I was like, apologies, I've, I've, I've got to go pin down this guy. <laughs> and so I uh, went and, and literally just like – uh, grabbed him in a hallway and, and interviewed him about the decision because, of course, it had been controversial. Um, Brittany, do you remember like kind of the major reasons why I think some people kind of pushed back on that idea? On publicists pulling out? Yeah, just the idea of like pulling out. You remember it was like there was – Yeah. Well, I think it felt it, like there was not a lot of love in the industry for that yeah, decision. Yeah, there was a lot of – it went down like, you know, a lead balloon. Like there was a lot of cynicism about publicist's true reasons for doing it. But the thing that was a shame about it was that awards for all the cynicism surrounding them among some circles are still really important to the talent and it can really make a difference in someone's budding career. So I think for the creatives themselves and the people behind the work, it was a shame that their work couldn't be recognized that year. Um, so I think that was one of the overwhelming sentiments about it. But I think if that move forced can to kind of think about what is the true purpose of the festival and how can they change it to make it even better. Yeah, and it had, as I think they expected it would, they had this ripple effect where, um, you know how like when one car drives really fast down the highway and then other people feel more comfortable speeding behind it, uh, <laughs> like I call it, I, I call it a speed shield. It's like someone's more likely to get in trouble. A lot of agencies criticized publicists for this 100% pullout and then kind of quietly reduce their entries by like 50%. You know, these yeah. like so they they were agreeing in the cost savings while publicly chastising them uh, for, for going all in. So I go back and I sit down at this table and, of course, the Wyden and Kennedy people are like, what did he say? You know, they were just naturally curious about uh, about his response. And we briefly kind of talked about the conversation and then Colleen DeCourcy, who's now the president, I think she was the co-creative uh, chief back then, she said, um, well, you know, we almost did the same thing. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't know that. And she said, yeah, so uh, about a year or two prior – they had decided let's take all the money, which to be clear is millions of dollars when it's when we're talking award show fees. Yeah. They, this is a large budget. Um, she, they said let's take that money and let's spend it in something that's a little less of a boondoggle, a little less uh, self-indulgent on the part of the, the, the folks hosting it. Let's use that money to reward our, our talent and our creativity in new ways. And I don't remember kind of what they were picturing for those but you know they were willing to be open-minded. The difference between them and publicists is uh, they then mentioned it to their staff and asked them about it, right? Mm. Publicists did not. Like the publicist staff, including like Leo Burnett and all these other agencies, they found out same time we did. Um, and so Wyden talks to their staff and their staff was like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> and they – so you, 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 you phrased it perfectly about the, the – you know, the people who suffer when something like this goes away is the talent, the rising talent. You know, I always joke that your 30th lion is not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, your, your first lion is a life changer. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's very easy when you have 30, 40, and I've literally talked to people who have dozens and dozens of lines and they're like, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, it's not a big deal to you. Right. But if we went back in time, that first one would. Um, And I remember there was a similar thing where an agency had won so many lines, they started to like spray paint them and do like (laughs) silly things with them. And the staffers who had won those lines were like, um, could, could, could you not? Can you not ruin my lion? (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's literally my first lion. And the agency was just like, oh, it's funny. And because they had a hundred of them on the shelf back home. And for that staffer, it was like, no, this is literally the first thing I've ever won. Um, And so I think about that conversation a lot, right? And just, uh, you know, the way that, the way Colleen phrased it was, we felt like we had climbed the ladder and then pulled it up behind us. You know, mm. <laughs> like you, it's like you get famous off these awards and then you say awards are dumb. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> famous now, so you don't need that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, times have changed. Um, it, it's like recently, this is a bit off topic, but recently um, I was asking a bunch of creatives for their advice for rising creatives. And several of them said, be patient. And I get it. Uh, you know, be patient in your career. Don't don't worry too much about promotions and all that. I I, I disagree fundamentally uh, because be patient is the kind of advice you give when you're like 15 years into your career. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is not when you're when you're two years in and you your salary is barely enough to survive and you have so much growth potential and so many places you want to grow in your in your career in your life like that that advice is kind of toxic. Uh, but I get it. Like I get why people think that. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the work. Uh, our last week's episode, we talked about um, a few of the award shows that have led up to this, so there'll be a little overlap, but I think we've gotten a good sense since then, uh, and Brittany's been talking to creatives around the world about what they expect to win at Cannes, so when we come back, we will ha- uh, hear all about those. All right, we're back. Uh, Shannon... Uh, you were on last week's episode, but uh, now that you've looked at some of our can previews and, um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about a few of the same ones. We talked about like womb stories from AMV, BBDO and uh, the S&E brands. There, there's no getting around that. It is going to win a lot at Can this year. Uh, it's going to continue. But what are some other campaigns that you're ex- excited about seeing how, how they'll do or optimistic they'll do well? Well, um <laughs> I'm all about womb stories, obviously. And I know that we talked about that extensively um, in the last one, but I think it's just such a, such, it's such a creative feat that it's hard to see beyond that. And I imagine that that it is the case for a lot of jurors. Um, That said, I was pleased to see that there was some love or recognition, and this is going to sound super biased, all things considered, um, for Travis Scott's uh, Fortnite activation astronomical oh, did, concert. Did, did Shannon Miller, who wrote our cover story on Travis Travis Scott, did she just predict that Travis Scott's going to do well? No, no. Uh, yeah, like I, I, don't know. I was I glad know. to see that one in there because that's – it's like is it an ad? Um, kind of. I mean and those are the best yeah. ones that can, right? That can has an entire category called titanium that exists because so many things to the, to the point of the name of this podcast, so many things are just like I, I don't know. It's probably right. <laughs> exactly. It, it straddles that line so nicely. And um, it just opened so many creative channels for that specific time in terms of live performance and how brands and talent 
um, can partner in really creative ways. So it would be awesome if that got that sort of recognition and kind of a shame if it got overlooked. Yeah, the uh, it, I'm curious in general to see how Travis Scott does it. Can <laughs> like we've talked about him so much over this last year. Um, I'll I'll be. You know, I don't know. I don't know if like if the the Travis Scott meal or if any of that stuff is is really going to be in the running. Um, but uh, but I, I do think we're going to hear quite a bit about uh, from Widen Kennedy, New York specifically, which has been working on all the McDonald's stuff. Uh, this feels like it's going to be a very good year for them. Brittany, what are some campaigns you're expecting to to see uh, specifically that you know taking Grand Prix or taking multiple golds? Well, one that's been predicted a lot and actually won a DNAD black pencil. So that's usually a good predictor of what will do well at CAN is MasterCard's True Name campaign by McCann New York, which allowed transgender and non-binary people to use their chosen names on credit cards. Do you remember that one? Oh, absolutely. And and it was, you know, it was generated. I, I We may have told the story on the podcast before, but it was an idea that was generated by a trans employee of the agency. Oh, wow. Uh, which I think is such a great example of the the power of inclusiveness, not just diversity. Like we always talk about the difference between those is like actually giving people a real seat at the table, a real voice in your processes. And the fact that a, a relatively junior level trans employee was the one who said th- this at the agency, not at the brand, you know, is the one who proposed this idea. And uh, yeah, it's grown. Uh, it's, it's obviously grown nationally. It's grown internationally. And for those who uh, maybe haven't heard of it, this is a – a new feature uh, for MasterCard that was uh, that enables their clients, I guess, their card holders, to use their chosen name uh, instead of being kind of stuck with the legal name, uh, which for for trans folks is often a dead name, uh, and use it use the name they want. And as I think we've talked about on the show before, like that's something. You know, when we talk about accessibility, when we talk about inclusiveness, those things benefit people far beyond the the initial kind of target audience. Uh, there's a lot of people who go by names that are not their legal name, right? And it's just who they are. And it's if if you haven't gone through the the legal morass of of changing it all, um, it can be it can be a tremendous pain. And so I, I think this is something that is wonderful for the trans community and uh, and really says a lot about the brand. But also, I think will in the long run will be embraced by all, all sorts of folks who want to be able to define their own identity. Uh, and, and again, this is a classic uh, example of an ad campaign. It is an ad campaign. There are ads. Uh, it was generated by an ad agency. But it's a feature, right? You know, it's a it's a product. And that's something we've seen time and again at Can is that uh, when agencies especially help develop products, I, I will say skeptically or cynically maybe even, um, and Brittany, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that often when a agency-created product wins at can, it is like 97% bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, but this, I like this one because it's it's a practical solution to a real issue and something that people will actually use in the real world. And it is in the real world. Like you yeah. can see it. It's, it's like, I, we, it's hard to explain to folks who haven't uh, really followed some of the winners over the years of these things. It's like a lot of them, if you really just start asking, oh, okay, so where did this run? Where is it available? How many did you make? Uh, because it's easy to write a headline that's like, Ikea created this line of fully customizable products for you know disabled communities. And then you ask like, how many did you make? And they're like, a hundred, mm, yeah. In, in bar, you know, in Bahrain, mm-hmm. and you're like, 
okay, that seems like a good start. I, w- I would say that that when you read a headline that says IKEA has created this whole gigantic thing, you wouldn't necessarily think that they mean they made a hundred of them in one country <laughs> and called it a day. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm making up that example, kind of. I am obliquely <laughs> referencing uh, one, but like, I, there's not. Yeah, um, but no, it's it's something where those questions, which we ask all the time, uh, are really awkward sometimes. Where it's like. You'll hear phrases like proof of concept, right? Like, oh, we came up with this idea uh, to prove it could be done. And I'm like, oh, OK. Is it actually being done now? And they're like, well, well, time will tell. Uh, yeah. We're really, really in the early stages. <laughs> yeah, that's been a real problem for several years now, the proliferation of scam ads. So ads that were just created for award stories but don't actually live in the real world. And I think when that kind of thing happens, it undermines – the quality of the, the other work that's being recognized. And not not to get into the weeds of the jury processes, and, and I could be out of date on how they do this, but I know for a long time, they really encourage jurors not to do individual research. You know, don't, don't be Googling things on your phone while you're watching these case studies. Don't be going back and reading Adweek articles about it. Um, I think their, their, their thinking was that that is kind of outside the scope of how the judging process is supposed to work. Yeah. Uh, but I've also served on a jury, you know, with Epico, which is juried by journalists, and I, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can make an informed decision about campaigns that you've never heard of without doing a little more research than watching a minute forty-five case study. Yeah, uh, where where they make it sound like they absolutely changed the planet, and then you ask someone from that country where the thing happened, whether it's like those Samsung trucks with the screens on the back from seven years ago or whatever. It's like these ones like, oh, have you ever actually seen these? And people from those countries are always like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think the judging process tends to kind of be heavy on um, – well, well I'll, I'll tell an inside baseball story. And Brittany, I can't remember if I told you about this um, before. It's it's your first week, so probably not. But the uh, one time someone accidentally – well, they someone forwarded me an email from an agency and they um, – they accidentally included the, a previous conversation at the bottom of the like you know Uh-oh. like I had yeah they had obviously forwarded me a conversation that had been going back and forth between their um, London office and their U.S. office and I was just like oh this is awkward because they were talking about like they were t- they were talking about um, me <laughs> you know and about us and about sending this thing but it, but in there it said there was a line that said that said something like if Adweek doesn't cover this. It will not win. It can, and I I remember just looking at that and being like, "Well, that I mean, a that can't be technically true." I I discover new campaigns every single year. <laughs> You're not uh, a juror. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I asked a few people about it, and and it I think it listed one or two other publications as well, um, including your former publication as once. And and I asked some jurors, and I was like, "Is that true? I mean, is there any truth to that?" And they were like, "Well, not literally, not not directly." But jurors feel this unspoken pressure to recognize work. Hmm. They they want to know it's legit. They want to know that it's been discussed in the industry because if they've never heard of it, if they've not seen it covered in any trade publications, there's an innate skepticism that it's real or hmm. that it's – and uh, and I was like, OK, that feels I, – I don't know. 
I'm I'm honored that they think that that we do a good good job vetting these things uh, f- to help them out. But at the same time, that's one of the best parts of the festival is discovering all these campaigns that I've never heard of. Uh, yeah, and that because a lot of them are just being translated in English for the first time, right? Hmm. Um, so, uh, what are some other Shannon? Any other uh, uh, campaigns that uh, that you're looking forward to seeing how they do? So. The one prediction that surprised me, and now it has me thinking about it a lot, is Reddit's five-second Super Bowl ads. Mm, that was a RGA, I think, did that. Uh, yeah, I, I would not. That would not be one that I would naturally think of for consideration, just by function alone. Um, it, it was a brilliantly executed. Uh not just spot, but just an effort in general and, and really indicative of what Redditors were able to accomplish with the, the little bit of power. And that sort of translates in this ad, right? It's like, we only have five seconds to tell this because we are not rich. So here's everything that we were able to do. And it was one of the most talked about ads yeah. of the Super Bowl. Um, now, if if that somehow you know, overshadows something like wound stories or, uh, Fort or I was supposed to say Fortnite, um, astronomical concert. I might raise an eyebrow, but it is interesting that it is something that is still being talked about for can specifically. Yeah. I, I wonder, cause there's been, I thought it was super clever. Um, but there's also been a few campaigns in the past that have kind of used that. And I'm I'm not one of those people who's like, that idea has been done. Don't ever do it again. Right. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about Hotels.com uh, did an ad where there – if you paused and read the legal on the ad, so it popped up like a screen full of legal uh, disclosure. And if you mm-hmm. actually paused it and read it, there was this thing saying, oh, by the way, if you go to this website, you will straight up win. Like we will just give you money. <laughs> and they wanted to see how many people bothered to pause it and read the legal and literally if you just like went and typed in the url that was in there they would just like give you something and i just remember thinking what a brilliant idea that was um and i think that same agency cpb i think for fruit of the loom they also just put things like out in the world that basically told you there was money here if you were willing to smash a hole in something <laughs> <laughs> and so many people walk by it, right? Like hundreds of people walk by. Because like, if I saw that, I'm, I'm not just going to immediately start smashing holes in things. <laughs> probably. Right. But uh, the – yeah, no, I, I think that's going to be a really good one. I think one that I'm I'm curious to see how it does. I'm optimistic, uh, I guess, is You Love Me from Beats by Dre. Mm, that was um, great. Just truly one of the – most beautiful. I think we named it the number two ad of the year, if I remember right, um, just behind uh, Nike's uh, split screen uh, kind of uh, achievement, which of course uh, I assume will also do well if they if they entered it. Um, but uh, you love me is just such a it's such a perfectly produced, like such a perfectly created ad, and I. Mm-hmm. I will say this, uh, the ads like that tend to do really well in film craft, which is its own category, and then sometimes not in film. I think this one will do well in both. Hmm. Um, I I think Hmm. it's actually one of those like rare exceptions where it won't just be a, well, it's a good – because the message is so powerful that I don't think you can just say (laughs) well-made, well-built ad. (laughs) Uh, 
I was going to say that's something that I found interesting um, in talking to um, UK Bureau Chief Stephen Lepetak. He mentioned something that kind of like threw me for a loop. He said, Moldy Whopper is an underdog now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is wild considering that it was like the talk of the industry when it dropped. And it just lets you know that time is weird. It is so odd now um, because he's right. <laughs> if, if it qualifies this year, he's right. And it, like even six months ago or four months ago, even that was not the case. I, it, well, it's it's funny to think back to a time when the most infectious thing out there was a moldy whopper, and then <laughs> oh, ugh. such an innocent time. <laughs> like the so at the end of last year, um, when we were ranking our ads of the year, uh, and several people told me like, "Well, number one's going to be moldy whopper, right?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Absolutely, absolutely not." Like. Not because I dislike it. I think it's fine. I, I I don't think it's as beloved outside of advertising as it is within. But um, the like the world changed. <laughs> like, like, like I was like, yes, I know it came out this calendar year, uh, and it would normally have been in last year's can consideration, but there was no can last year. Uh, no awards. So this year's awards will recognize two years worth of work, which is going to be a lot. Um, but, you know, it's just, yeah, when it came time to really look at uh, all the ads that defined the year and no, no, that's not <laughs> – that's just – it almost <laughs> felt like an artifact. Uh, like do you guys know what I mean? Like like it just felt yeah. Yeah. a thousand years old. Okay, right. I agree. I'm not rooting for the moldy whopper, but I am rooting for something kind of off the wall or – just simply funny to win big this year because I think a lot of the ads that are predicted to win they they have a bigger purpose behind them and that's great but I think sometimes the more humorous campaigns get overlooked in in favor of this trend to recognize purpose you know what I'm curious about uh scoop there it is <laughs> uh, obviously Martin agency's beloved uh, I think it launched like December 28th or something. It like launched very late last year. Um, and I mean, it's just one of those beloved ads, right? It has nothing to do with quarantine. It has nothing to do with anything. It's not about changing the world. It is just about the fact that if you could have, you know, 1990s hip hop group tag team making your ice cream, life would be better. It's, it's just like Geico has always been good. They've always had great ads. Occasionally they do very well at can, but occasionally they don't. I think sometimes juries are just like, yeah, this is the same thing you've been doing for years, right? Mm -hmm. Like per personally, I think if any other brand made a Geico ad, like a Geico quality ad, they would probably win. But but jurors understandably are like, yeah, I know. I, I've been seeing this for a decade. Um, and that's valid. Uh, but like Scoop There It Is is just such a outlier of just like a, just a fun ad. And just watching normal humans yeah. love it, watching agency people love it. Um, I don't, but I don't know. I never know how juries at can will feel about just lighthearted work that has nothing to do with a cultural moment. Yeah, but I think that's equally valid, and that's something that people need just as much in these tough mm -hmm. times than something with a big purpose behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was moderating a panel the other day, and the uh, Glenn Cole, the founder of Seventy Two and Sunny, had said uh, 
that that ad is the only thing that got me through this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> now, Danny Robinson, the CEO of Martin Agency, was on the panel, so it might have been, uh, you know, mildly, uh, you know, complimentary to him. But no, it's it's I don't know. I that's an ad I could see now. Just this has nothing to do with anything. It's just it's one of my favorite like moments at, at Cannes in terms of the, the award shows are a bit of a grind. Like they just kind of show these ads and people go up and they take their trophy and everyone tries to, you know, not show how completely hungover they are after a week of being there. And um, the most years, you know, it's just a polite applause. It's just like when stuff wins big, everyone's like, mm, yes, I acknowledge that because these are your competitors. <laughs> In the room. <laughs> it's a room full of your – like all of your rivals. Um, and one year, um, Geico won Grand Prix for the uh, uh, unskippable ads. Uh, if you all remember this, uh, they were the ones you know, where it looked like a pre-roll ad and then it would pause. But it wasn't really paused. Everyone is just standing there. Oh, Yeah. And so the one, the one that that won Grand Prix, there were several. The, all the executions were good. It is a classic of making you watch an entire ad, even though you can skip it at any time. You choose not to because you're just curious to see how it plays out. And the best one is one of this family eating eating dinner at a table. They're eating a spaghetti dinner. Brittany, you remember this one? I think so. Yeah. So like they're all eating a spaghetti dinner, and then it pauses. And they're all laughing. It's like Geico's savings or whatever. And then everyone just pauses. But it's not paused. They're just sitting still at this dinner table. And and the the dog is not paused. So (laughs) their dog just starts like climbing up onto the table and like eating their food. And then he literally just climbs up onto the table and just goes plate to plate. And it's like a solid minute or more of just this dog just loudly eating. I always picture the boom mic they must have had like right over that dog just to catch every mouth noise. And it's spaghetti, which is also just like the loudest thing I think a dog can eat. (laughs) Um, I have never seen, again, this award show at the end of Cannes, everyone's tired. (laughs) It's been a very long week and you're watching your competitors win stuff that you were hoping to win. People were in love with that ad. Like it keeps going, right? It's like a minute of silence and this dog just eating spaghetti. <laughs> and like everyone in this auditorium, thousands of people are just cracking up. And and the longer it went and the more the dogs just like knocking over plates and stuff, the louder they were laughing. And it, it is truly like one of the warmest moments I've ever – because I've also seen people boo ads. <laughs> <It's messed up. laughs> <laughs> Which they, they, Brittany, you may know, know this. Like they don't boo it. Do you know what they do? Like that crowd when they don't like an ad. No, what do they do? They whistle. Oh, such this, cruel. This is not an American thing. I've never heard of this. So I had to ask someone my first year, "Why is everyone whistling?" It's an <laughs> eerie. It's a really eerie thing. I assume it comes from from soccer, from football. I, but, um, dude, it's it is creepy. <laughs> Uh, and so like an entire arena – and I'm sure it's not like tons of people but people whistling and all of a sudden you just hear this high-pitched noise and that's them being like, this sucks actually. That's unsettling. Yeah. And I I agreed the first year I saw that. I was It was Harvey Nichols. I, sorry, I spent it on myself which had won something like four Grand Prix despite – to my opinion, to my uncultured opinion, not being all that great. Um, and uh, – and people booed it. I think not because it's a bad ad, but just because they were tired of seeing a, an ad campaign about selfishness. 
Like it's literally an entire campaign about spend money on yourself, not on yeah. other people. It's tongue in cheek. But I think it was this year where Can put up all these posters everywhere that was like advertising can save the world. Advertising <laughs> can help. And then and then they gave every trophy to this like selfishness campaign. Um and so I was getting frustrated, but then the entire like audience started whistling at it and I was like, Oh, okay, now I feel a little bad for those folks because they're there. <laughs> they're like they're people who made that ad are, are sitting there and having to walk up to the stage while everyone's uh, whistling. So on the other end of that spectrum, seeing how people responded to the Geico Unskippable ad was was very lovely. And I can see tag team. I don't know. I can see it being one of those. There are there is no live, you know, there's no big award show with people in it. Uh, but I will say this is something I did not understand until I started going every year, why this is such a big deal. The award shows that they're going to be posting uh, online, I think around 1.30 in the afternoon if you're in London, uh, around 8.30 if you're in New York, uh, they'll be posting these uh, live videos announcing the winners. They are hosted by Juan Senor, who is the MC of every Can Lions and just one of the most lovable human beings uh, like – I don't know him. Uh, I, I don't really know much about him except that he is just the most charming. And I was shocked when all these ad people kept telling me like, once in yours the best part. And ad people don't like anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, man, who is this guy? And, and I was picturing someone kind of cheesy or like a, you know, like a bit of a, a ham. Uh, and he is nice, just the warmest, most lovable guy. So if you're tuning in at all to Can this week, uh, you will see him presenting the awards each morning. And I was so glad. I was so glad they made room for him. They found a way to in incorporate him because he truly is like the heart and soul of that – of those presentations and he just has such great positivity. Uh, so glad to see Watson your back. Uh, guy's a, a global treasure. Well, we are about out of time. Any other last-minute predictions, things you think or at least that you would like to see uh, do well? Shannon, any uh, any come to mind? Um, I really think that's it for me. I – you know, again – Maybe my bias is showing I'm really rooting for Fortnite here um, to come out with with something. But right now, it's just looking like all eyes are on womb stories. I think Titanium is going to be to the point of everything we've been talking about today of like what is an ad. And that's why um, that's why Titanium exists. I could be wrong. I might be getting the lore here wrong. But I want to say that uh, Titanium was created um, because of – Shoot, all the ad nerds are going to get mad if I get this wrong. But I think over BMW Films or it was one of these like super ambitious projects where it just didn't fit into any category. Like it just didn't – it was just too big and too ambitious. And since then, like they created this category to give a place to catch all these really ambitious ideas that aren't technically ads. Um, and now it's the most coveted prize. Like you win the Titanium Grand Prix and I don't know. I don't know this year. Like mm. a lot of the stuff we've talked about today could easily win. Um, my 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 hunch is something like True Name, uh, just because I think that kind of fits fits the bill. Um, also, jurors love to see social good accomplished by brands. Uh, this is a weird quirk of Can, but like they Grand Prix cannot go to nonprofit campaigns. Uh, there's only one. There's one grant. It's a, a thing called the Grand Prix for Good uh, that can go to nonprofits, but the rest have to go to commercial. Mm. Um, yeah, like it can win gold, but it cannot win a Grand Prix. And so True Name is one where that's a classic. That's like a classic example of you're doing social good. You're you're reflecting something really relevant, uh, and you're doing it for completely commercial purposes. Which you know it's an advertising trophy, so that makes sense. Um, 
yeah, I don't know, Brittany. Uh, any last last guesses or or other underdogs like like the poor Moldy Whopper that's already won seven hundred thousand awards? I think yeah, I think Moldy Whopper will be okay. They'll, they'll, they'll be fine. Um, but I'm I'm rooting for Beats and something like I said, funny. Maybe what what did you call it? Scoop. There it is. Is that the name? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's actually called. Uh, uh, tag team helps in the kitchen or something <laughs> like no one calls it that absolutely no one maybe we'll be surprised um but yeah i don't know i think i think it would be crowd pleaser if there were a crowd well um i will be uh co-hosting one of the deep dives uh that they're doing on the can streams uh tiffany roll from rga and i will be talking about the uh e-commerce i think it's called creative e-commerce winners so if you happen to tune in maybe you'll catch me um but uh definitely check adweek.com we're going to have so much coverage so much coverage of all the stuff uh, all the winners as they're announced any of the trends we see and you can learn the background on those and watch all the ads of course so check it out uh and we're going to be covering everything kind of around the festival as well. So, uh, yeah, check out Adweek. And uh, thank you, Brittany, for uh, welcome to Adweek. Uh, congratulations on finishing your first week. And thanks so much for joining the show. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we will have you back on soon. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, if you have not already, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.